Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church, a Unitarian Universalist congregation located in Minneapolis, Minnesota. We are a radically welcoming and progressive faith community deeply committed to love, justice, spiritual growth, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org. I want to take a minute to introduce our guest today, Lena Gardner. Many of you know her. Raise your hand if you know Lena Gardner. All right, you've got some fans here. Lena is a member of this church and has been an activist in a variety of realms. Her whole bio is in the order of service, but I want to just offer up another um, moment. I came to Minnesota five years ago. Lena is one of the first people I met through, uh, everyone knows Lena Gardner, so it was easy to do that. But um, not only have I learned a lot from her, and we debate about a lot of things, and I really enjoy that, and I realized last week that if you don't have, if you're a boomer like me, and you don't have a millennial role model, you're in trouble. <laughs> I, that, uh, people, just talk out today. Go ahead, y'all. <laughs> Justin and Jen ain't here. Everybody just getting wild. All right, go for it. That's right. It is because this millennial role model has taught me courage and, and deep thinking like I have not had in a long time. And so I just want to encourage all of you boomers out there, if you don't have a millennial role model, get one, find one. There's probably a program for you to find one somewhere out there. So go for it. Often people say that they love coming to a place with so many like-minded people. I know just what they are getting at, and I know that they aren't getting it quite right. I don't want to be with a bunch of people who think just like me. I want to be in a beloved community where I don't have to think like everyone else to be loved, to be eligible for salvation, I want to be with people who value compassion, truth, justice, and love. Though they have different thoughts and opinions about all sorts of things, I want to be with independent-minded people of good heart. I want to be with people who have many names and no names at all for God. I want to be with people who see me in the goodness and dignity that I try to live out my life with, who also see my failings and my foibles and who still love me. I want to be with people who feel their interconnection with all existence and let it guide their footfalls upon the earth. I want to be with people who see life as a paradox and don't always rush to resolve it. I want to be with people who are willing to walk the tightrope that is life and will hold my hand as I walk mine. I want to be with people who let church call them into a different way of being in the world. I want to be with people who support, encourage, and even challenge each other to higher and more ethical living. I want to be with people who inspire one another to follow the call of the Spirit. I want to be with people who covenant to be honest, engaged, and kind. 
who strive to keep their promises and hold me to the promises that I make. I want to be with people who give of themselves, who share their hearts and minds and gifts. I want to be with people who know that human community is often warm and generous and sometimes challenging and almost always a grand adventure. In short, I want to be with people like you. When I first saw the theme for this summer, yes and, I sighed a really heavy sigh. <laughs> because yes and has always been a little difficult for me, no matter how carefully it's worded. Um, so today, I'm going to take some time first to talk about our faith as Unitarian Universalists, why I found a home here, and then why I helped to co-found another faith community called the Black Lives of Unitarian Universalism, or BLUE. And then I'm going to talk about power in our work in the world for justice and liberation making. I'm sorry, for justice making and liberation. And I'm going to do that because I realized I couldn't really talk about power or my journey and my relationship to power uh, without talking about this faith community and without talking about my work with Blue. So I found Unitarian Universalism six months um, after my dad had passed away in 2009 and at a time when I needed an expensive knee surgery, but I had no insurance. I was out in Arizona. I had returned back home after having essentially ended up living out of my car and grappling head to head with my grief and my loss. My years long search for a spiritual home had actually ended when I found Unitarian Universalism at the Phoenix congregation. Then I came home and I found here. And it was like I could breathe again for the first time since my dad had died. It's a place for those who don't know where people can believe in God or not. You can be Christian or pagan or not, but it's not a place where anything goes. We do ground our theology in the seven principles of our faith, which I take very seriously. For me, it boils down to a belief in the idea that love is an invisible thread binding us together in ways we don't and may not ever fully understand. But it can lead us in the direction of justice only if we understand power along with it. Basically, love and power are part of the ways we help understand our principles so that they might inform the direction of our lives and our community. After all, love can give us strength to face what we thought was unfaceable, and love can also be broken, damaged, sometimes irreparably so. Yet there is always the potential of healing with love. However, Without attempting to understand the power within us and around us, love can easily be perverted. Power, without attempting to understand love, can easily become brutal and abusive. Love can be perverted because structural inequities, systemic injustices are the sins we cannot escape. The sins for which we must atone, for which we must constantly strive to set right, in whatever ways we can, and for which we need a way to understand, is this the right direction? After all, I don't know about you, but 
I don't want to be like the good and well-meaning Christians who violently stripped indigenous people of their dignity, language, land, culture. I don't want to be like the good, well-meaning Christians who enslaved generations of black people in the name of their religion, stripping them of their identity, dignity, culture. But how do we know? How do we know we aren't them? I think part of that answer lies in the beliefs we center and how we specifically relate those beliefs to power. So by 2014, I was desperately holding on to threads of love as I tried to stay in my generation's fight for black liberation, a fight that generations before me have undertaken and undertaken and undertaken. And at the same time, I was trying to hold on to my faith community here. But the thread of love withered after a couple years, and it got harder to hold on to, in part because there were so many things pulling me in different directions. Um, and then the convening for Black Lives was put together by a group of amazing organizers in July of 2015. There, I met people that I would go on to start Blue with. We had gathered for lunch with no agenda, no plans, no intentions, except to connect with each other, just to gather and break bread. It was striking to me that all of us felt like we could go to a black church and cleave off part of our beliefs or our identities, often around queerness, or we could come to a white UU church and cleave off our blackness. But no one wanted to continue cleaving themselves. We wanted to be our whole selves, our beautiful black Unitarian Universalist selves. And so we decided to start Blue. At that time, we were a group of six volunteers. We launched Blue into the world in September, just a little over a month after the convening. We started by articulating the seven principles of Unitarian Universalism through a, a black-centered lens. And our first principle is all black lives matter. We also made a decision that Blue was by black folks for, for black folks. No cleaving needed. That means that by and large, the vast majority of our programming we hold is sacred black space. And non-black folks are asked not to be in that space, but to support us. And this has to do with healing and connection that we find necessary to our spiritual health and well-being. We don't want to cleave ourselves anymore. So it's here, well, I'll just briefly stop and say, if you go, if you want more in-depth um, stories about what we have done to get from a group of six volunteers to an organization that's fully funded with four full-time staff members, um, approximately 700 constituents of black UUs and UU adjacent folks, and a yearly budget of about $500,000 in less than four years. Yes, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> um, we wrote it all down. It's called the blue story. Um, but what do we do, though, you might be asking yourselves. So I'll go through and talk a little bit about some of the things we've done and did. So, we are here to provide information, resources, and support for black Unitarian Universalists, and we work to expand the role and visibility of black UUs within our faith. To do those things, 
we held a kickoff convening in New Orleans in 2017, where we asked the over 100-some black UUs gathered what they wanted Blue to be. Then we sent out a survey for those who couldn't be there. And in 2018, we held a Blue Revival, spiritual revival, which was a beautiful, amazing space. And this year, we were having a Black UU Theological Symposium right here in St. Paul, Minnesota, in the fall. Our first programming, which is open to every, everyone, which includes you. We hold online worship services twice a month, once a month in the summer. We have daily affirmations we send every day, and we have a Blue Ministerial Network that provides care and support through our pastoral care line and at our in-person gatherings. And we are preparing to launch our Blue Havens and Harbors in 2020. We have, and those are gonna be like covenanted communities in person all over the country. We have an organizing team that is working on transforming themselves as they transform the world. Their most recent project was the Babies and Bailouts Project, which raised thousands of dollars to help end the cash bail system as part of a national effort and raised awareness about the disparities in black maternal health outcomes, as well as a supplies drive for organizations serving black mothers. Sadly, I don't have the exact number, but I do know that congregations and UU groups across the country participated in the Babies and Bailouts Project. Believe it or not, there is more that we do, but I won't go into it. <laughs> I'll let you read the blue story, and I'll say that I started with all of this context because it's an important to the conversation of yes and, because I realize some folks who came to our church today are not UUs, and we don't really do evangelizing. <laughs> but I think we should start. Um, <laughs> um, but at its heart, Blue, we had a vision for our faith that didn't marginalize our blackness, but celebrated and affirmed it, and where we could also live into the, U, the fullness of our UU theology. We also wanted to marry the worlds of self-transformation and changing the outside world. We firmly believe that the structures of oppression that we are fighting around us are also within us. And we need strong, supportive communities grounded in love in order to be able to tear down those structures within ourselves and outside of us, but also in order to build up new ones in their place. Now, we are not perfect by any means. We have made mistakes and we have grown and tried to learn from them. We continue to try to understand how to keep striving for justice in this very messy human experience. <laughs> I'm gonna take a little drink of water. What I've witnessed in this messy human experience in our faith, in the broader Unitarian Universalism, is that yes and approach in our faith often does not come with a power analysis. And sometimes it is actually used as a block, to, in a block, a block to the work of doing justice. It can mean that one becomes frozen in place and indecisive, unsure of the next direction to move or the next step to take. Yes and can be a watering down of our decisions, and actions to such an extent that they become meaningless and anemic. But like the Grace Lee Boggs said, this is no time for weakness or meaninglessness. 
So how do we mitigate against this? How do we have principle grounded action in an unjust world when it is difficult to see multiple truths at the same time and we are also trying to live our lives in, under our capitalistic system? How do we think about this when the world is structured in such a way that we are often rewarded for efficient binary thinking where things like inefficiency or as the author Adrian Marie Brown says, taking moving at the speed of trust is often disregarded, belittled, just not tolerated, let alone embraced, because we have to do something. We need results, right? How do we hold on to our principles if we are to embrace yes and, which I do believe is a really important part of our UU principle, especially the principles about inter interdependence, about fighting for justice and equality. These are complex and nu nuanced. How do we fight for justice if we are thinking about yes and? I think that part of the answer is that it should always start with yes and what about power? What about my power? What about the power of the pe people closest to me? What about the structures of power around us that we are facing? So not to be too cliche about it, but to, the other part of the answer is also about love. How is love strengthening and giving us courage to confront that power or to build it? Because I would argue that many of us in this room don't know the power of our own selves, right? And there are many other parts to it, but I think at the core, we don't have good muscles yet of exercising, thinking about power, where we have it, where we don't. And sometimes it's, it's, a, it's not just that binary, right? We might come from a really privileged socioeconomic background, and I might also be a woman, right? Other parts lie elsewhere, but I hope if you get nothing else from the sermon today, it's that you understand that we must start becoming more comfortable talking about power, our own and others, thinking about power, grappling with its complexity, and to stop being afraid. We must stop being afraid of wielding it. As you use and social justice thinkers, many of us are so comfortable talking about love, but how often are we talking about the meaning of love in the midst of power? about how power affects who we think is worthy of love and who we are willing to fight for. So I want to inject some resources and full transparency. When I started in the Black Lives Matter movement, I was terrified of power. My own, the state's power, the powers of institutions like our church, because all too often it had been wielded abusively, violently against me. And I had two thoughts. I said, if that's what power it is, I don't want it. Right? First thought. Second thought was, how do I fight against this? So it's been a journey to figure out, to go back and look at others who have gone before and what they have done. So I found two helpful resources that I want to share with you all t today. Um, they're over here. So for the more Christian types in the room, 
I encourage you to look at the work of James Cone. This is a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. And it's all about the experiences of black folks during the height of lynching times and the power of the symbols of not only lynchings, but also of the Christian cross. Um, and this book was also deeply influenced by liberation theology, which came out of the work of Roman Catholic Peruvian theologian Gustav, Gustavo Gutierrez, who stressed preferential treatment for the poor. I think in a lot of our endeavors, we as Unitarian Universalists don't connect the work we're doing down into preferential treatment for the poor or in with an analysis of power. So I'll leave you to just go explore that if you will. The second work uh, is this particular book, though Grace Lee Bogg has a ton of other books she has written, and I have yet to explore deeply others, but as you can see, I'm really into this one. Um, <laughs> it's called The Next American Revolution, Sustainable Activism for the 21st Century. Now, what she does in this book um, is really powerful. She's from Detroit. She is an academic, um, and she's a powerful intellectual force. But she also grounds all of that in her work that she did along with her husband, James Boggs. So in this book, one of the things she did was talk about both Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. Um, and she is able to point out how both men were changing their ideas and coming closer together not in a mealy-mouth, feel-good way either, right? These are men who had spent years sort of going at each other publicly and each other's ideas publicly. But as their careers progressed, as they evolved, as they studied, as they intentionally kept striving to figure out more and more effective ways of fighting for justice, they transformed, their ideas transformed, and then they were both killed for it. So she talks about how they kind of exemplify this emerging of love and revolution that we heard in the earlier reading, right? It was, it was both a call to understand more deeply that different forms of capitalism or just giving everybody lots of money isn't actually going to give us, get us free from the oppressive work structures that exploit us, right? So I was gonna share um, a quote, but I'm just checking the time. I don't want to keep you all here forever. So instead, I'll just reference to say this book is really well worth reading if you're serious about thinking about how to really partner love and revolution and how to start thinking about a power analysis in a way that can really inform your work. Um, so, for, so for me, what I've understood, and actually it's come through the blue work. It has come through trying big things that maybe didn't work, but then trying little things like bringing people to the Allied Media Conference and then that team coming together, forming babies and bailouts, and raising thousands of dollars, right, and having thousands of conversations across the country. But these conversations happened in communities, right? So it was sort of a a dripping down into the grassroots, right? And that's sort of at the heart of what Blue is trying to do. We are trying to create what this book talks about, 
love and revolution together. But a key piece of that is also self-determination for black folks. And part of that is because when, you when we have self-determined folks working together, you can change things in a way that you can't. You can find solutions and creative community-based solutions in ways that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. So I am proud to say at Blue that we are really trying to do that. It has been a challenge to start at the national level and try to grow locally, but we're on the journey and we're, we're thinking it'll move us closer to, to where we wanna be. Grace Lee Boggs built on the work of Arundhati Roy when she, along with Maria Mize, penned a statement entitled, Another World is Necessary, Another World is Possible, Another World has Already Begun. So may we lose our fear of power, of those who have it and of those who don't. May we lean into both love and revolution. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We're a faith community committed to racial justice, and together we give, receive, and grow in the universalist spirit of love and hope. To learn more about who we are and our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org.